This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Diana Peterson Moore on the line. Hey, Diana, how are you? I'm doing well, Michael. And you? It is a beautiful sunny day, and I wish there was more of these during the time that we're recording this in February to the audience, and uh, we don't usually see the sun very often in Toronto this time of year, but today we do, so I'm, I'm chiming in. I'm looking out at the Toronto skyline from my vantage point right now, and it, it looks real. It doesn't look photoshopped. It looks like it's actual real sunshine out there, so it's actually beautiful. So glad, glad to have you on. And you know, in, in your career, you've done a ton of things. You've been an employment lawyer, corporate manager, a director, officer, consultant, presenter. Uh, I, I, I guess you... Author. You, yeah, author. <laughs> so I guess you just master things and you go, all right, well, what's next? And so you know, walk us through that journey and, and, and I'm really curious to see what, you know, what you're doing today and, and how you're using all of these skills that you've had throughout your career in, in helping people, you know, basically get to the things that they want to get in life? Well, you know, it's kind of no good deed goes unpunished, I think. Um, I tend to be pretty strategic. However, in my own life, because of personal circumstances, I found a path and I would go down that path and like one of those little cars that goes into a toy car that goes into a wall and then it turns around. So I'm a big one for trying new things and if it works great and if it doesn't try something new. But in my own case, I happened, I was actually teaching kindergarten and first grade and going to law school at night. Um, but I was the youngest person in my class, which was terrific because I learned a lot from those who were anywhere from five to 10 years older than I. They were people in the workforce who were wanting to change careers. Well, I met and married a law school classmate, and lo and behold, I was pregnant with our first child my last year of law school. And that was a good thing because it forced me to be pretty focused and disciplined. Didn't have time to chit-chat around the water cooler. So I went and worked for an employment firm, had a great time. The firm broke up. And so I was out in the marketplace again, and at that time found out I was then pregnant with my older daughter. I have a son and two daughters. And Southern California Edison Company, a very large utility, was bringing the employment labor law in-house, and I was recruited, thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll work um, this job for a couple of two, three years, and then go back out to the, quote, real world. And I'm fond of saying I made a meteoric rise to the glass ceiling. So in 11 years, I went from practicing employment law to employee relations to human resources to healthcare. We were self-funded administered, so I got to negotiate a PPO, and I was elected corporate secretary um, at the ripe old age of 38. Um, there were 18 officers, 17 men and me, and I decided I didn't want to be a generic utility officer. I wanted to get into human resources. So I spent my time as corporate secretary because we had board meetings, but we also had a staff that did dividend reinvestment, stock transfer, and things that truthfully were largely boring to me. But I put together self-managed work teams and became enamored of that process. So I took a lateral to the Times Mirror Company, headed the human resources function. And then three years later, that company, which was really a, an enterprise that had um, newspaper groups, training companies, book companies, radio stations, magazines, etc. 
the good news was I learned to become a Zanger Miller certified facilitator. But when the organization broke up, I thought, wow, you know, this could continue to happen. So I went from Edison of being one of 18 with a workforce of maybe 18,000 to Times Mirror being one of eight with a workforce of, you know, 56,000. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should take matters into my own hand, started consulting. And the rest, as they say, is history. So I've been doing a lot of organizational development consulting. And then kind of by request, I started in human resources arm, which I'm really, really trying to shut down and focus only on the um, OD, the executive coaching, the facilitation. And I do a lot of strategic planning, team building. And along the way, took kind of captured a lot of the lessons I learned in the book which is called Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times, Practical Guide to Leadership. And it's story-based. It's stories about things that worked and didn't work and, and so forth. So that's kind of refocused. So I'm now doing a lot of blogging and tweeting. And thanks to you and your colleagues, a fair amount of podcasting, and really focusing in on helping people communicate the messages they want to commute, communicate. That's amazing, amazing work that you've done and are doing. And I, I love the title of the book, The Consequential Part. That one, when I saw it, it, it definitely raised the eyebrow test and went, <laughs> yeah. what does she mean by that? And and in sharing your background, I, I, I kind of have a little bit more insight in that. And one of the things that you know, jumped out at me in, in, in telling your backstory a bit was where you you recognized, okay, you went from one organization and then they folded or merged or whatever the situation happened to be. And it started happening to, happening to you again and again. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and instead of playing a victim and going, whoa, is me. Why is this happening to me? You decided maybe I should go into something myself. Then that way I can control the situation a little bit better because for those of us that you know work for organizations, we can do the greatest job and be the best employee. But if things aren't working well, either from a client standpoint or the industry or whatever the situation may be, you could find yourself you know on the other side of the employment line, and that's not a fun place to be. So you obviously were you know, wise enough and able to navigate all of those little pitfalls that came along the way and, and segue into some things and raise a family as too. And that's, you know, that's about 18 full-time jobs raising a family. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I've got three, well, yeah. three children yeah. myself, so I know, I know what that's like. And, but I, I think probably the best thing we can do next is, you know, dive into the book a little bit and, you know, tell us about the, the process and, you know, how you use it, you know, in your talks and in your strategic planning with the organizations that you serve? Well, um, maybe answering in reverse order, um, strategic planning is, and I will borrow something from Stephen Covey and have it seven habits of highly effective, whatever, you know, managers, leaders, mice, rodents, (laughs) amoebas, um, begin with the end in mind. So I'm very strategic. I always feel, uh, figure out or ask a client, what's the goal? This will have been successful if what happens. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you've covered this as well, 
the client doesn't necessarily know what the goal is. But if you can drill down and get them to focus on the goal, then you can kind of back into how to accomplish the needs. And it's the same thing with communication. Oftentimes, because we're all communicating 24-7 and we're being perceived by others, whether we like it or not. So the goal to me is to be intentional. What's the goal of the communication? And for better or for worse in the workforce, it's often to get somebody else to do what you want them to do. Uh, So that's kind of the premise of the book. But each chapter has a little phrase that I've developed over time. You know, it might be... um, Listen and ask more, talk less. It might be the two for one rule, two positives for every ah shucks. It could be, you know, being strategic or one of the phrases that I developed after having led a five year long project for a large municipality is, quote, make it easy for them to say yes. I observed the top 500 leaders in a huge uh, governmental, well, it was the Department of Water and Power in Los Angeles to be specific. And they were going through training modules and they each each team had an opportunity to make a presentation to the general manager. And I noticed that they came in with great ideas, great solutions, bells and whistles. And they might even have received a yes, go ahead, but they hadn't done the homework. So when the yes happened, um, there were a, there was an expectation that somebody else would actually execute the process. So I thought, you know, you got to make it easy for them to say yes. You've got to think through all the steps. You've got to get the people lined up ahead of time who you're going to rely upon. You have to make sure the resources are there. And then you always have to have a plan B because life happens. So that became a chapter on make it easy for them to say yes, as an example. So I would kind of have the each chapter has the how to's and it has a story of what worked, what didn't work. And then it concludes with a tip, um, which is really just a summary of what the how to's were. You know, the old tell them what you're going to say, say it and then tell them what you just said. And then Mm -hmm. actually the last chapter is just a compilation of all the tips from all the previous chapters. So if someone doesn't want to read, which is kind of the way we are in society now, they can go to the last chapter, kind of look for an area and then say, oh, okay, I can now invest time in reading, you know, seven, eight pages from this one chapter. So it's really what I learned in the process of facilitating and and working with others in terms of communication. And the consequential is being intentional. Um, and the turbulent times is I just think we're living in very turbulent times. Clearly, what's going on in my country politically, where words can be fighting words, which can then lead to violence, I just think we need to be a lot more conscious and conscientious about how we communicate with others. And then, of course, you know, the Internet, Twitter, etc. In the good old days or the bad old days when I was growing up, the adage was never put in writing what you wouldn't want to have appear on the front of the LA Times or the New York Times or whatever, the Toronto (laughs) News, whatever is appropriate. And people have gotten away from that. They kind of feel like they get it off their chest and it's gone and without the recognition that it's out there in cyberspace and there are people who are consuming it. So that's, that's, um, in a long-winded nutshell, <laughs> that's what it's about. No, it's a great book. And I think one of the things that I always instruct people to do when they're definitely having some communication challenges is 
go into it with the uh, basically the premise of seek to understand the other person's point mm-hmm. of view. Why are they passionate about this particular matter? Why are they saying things? Oftentimes, it's because of past experiences that that individual has had, whether it's past traumas or past experiences with a coworker regarding a situation similar to this or a client, whatever it happens to be. And if we all go into those situations to seek to understand what the point of view is, Mm -hmm. look for the common ground and not be so judgmental and like you said they've thrown the you know you don't want it on a billboard or the front page of the newspaper out the window people it'll take them 10 seconds to hop online and send out a tweet that is hurtful damaging rude Mm -hmm. you know not polite uh, condemning even hate Uh, and and we see that too often uh, with everybody and i'm a firm believer uh, that you know, and you know, not that I go too much into politics on this show, but I'm a firm believer that if you scale back all the noise, and the noise is from both of the main political parties in the United States, not just one, but both, yeah. scale back all of that noise and get to the core of the issues. There's more common ground. Than not, and just like in a union negotiation, for example, the the ones that tend to get resolved faster is okay. Let's let's agree in principle on the things that we're agreeing on, right. and and get through that. And what ha- that happens, and you start doing that, and you're like, okay, we agree on this, we agree on this, we agree on this, we agree on this. Momentum starts, and they go, and it it, it trains their brain, saying, I can be in agreement with this person on certain matters. There may be certain matters that they will never agree upon, which, you know, agree to disagree is a quote you hear a lot. And that's fine, but do it from a a place of, uh, of, of love and caring on this. You know, we're recording this on Valentine's day. So it's kind of ironic (laughs) that I said that, but I, I, I think people need to seek to understand and also come at it from a place of love, not, not a sexual love type of thing, but more of just a love for compassion. humanity, compassion, have some empathy. Uh, I, you know, I've got colleagues that are extremely empathetic and I have colleagues that they wouldn't know empathy if it fell on top of them. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're working on that because they, they didn't grow up in an environment where that existed. So they're just adapting to what they were trained at yeah. and and when they get to that point and they're learning about empathy it, it you can see that you know they're getting it now by no means am i expecting them to go from somebody that is you know i don't want to call them a psychopath but psychopath type personality to you know someone like mother Teresa that's giving and loving and you know, giving of themselves completely type of thing it's it's like find that middle ground that works for you yeah. but but communication is is a constant problem with organizations. I think communication leads to burnout, which is something that I talk about a lot. Yeah. Because there's a combination of not understanding where the other person is truly coming from and match that up with unmet expectations on both parties. 
You know, the the manager wants the employee to do this thing. The employee doesn't know how to do it because the manager has never trained them how to do that. The manager gets mad at the employee and starts yelling at them because they don't know what they're doing. They were never taught how to do it. So it's this vicious circle. And sometimes it takes uh, consultants and outsiders like us to go into it and go, well, of course they don't know how to do it. You never told them how to. You know, Michael, it sounds like in a way, we, it's so fascinating. We're two peas in a pod working on the same issues and describing it somewhat differently. So mine is talk less, listen and ask more. And then when talking about the meeting of the minds, I know, and I know you know, there are two aspects to conflict or there are two different schools of thought. Perhaps that's a better way of describing it. One of them is conflict resolution and one of them is conflict management. And I'm a big believer in conflict management. And it's really the process that you describe. You know, what keeps us apart? And then what do we have in common? And often what keeps us apart is values-based. And values based upon heritage, upbringing, um, culture. And those are probably never going to change. So don't even argue about those, but focus on what we have in common. And I often, when I'm doing conflict, management training, I bring up the issue of abortion and even the words that are used, you know, baby killer or choice or, you know, pro-abortion, pro-abortion pro-choice, pro-life. And I've said, couldn't someone be both pro-life and pro-choice? I'm saying, this is a choice I'm making, but I'm allowing somebody else to. And I kind of focus on the fact that folks are never going to agree fundamentally, but what can they agree? Maybe they can agree upon we want to reduce the number of teenage pregnancies. We want to Um, enhance the ability for children who were unexpected to be adopted. And so I can hopefully take a seemingly intractable issue and bring people to commonality, which is what you're saying. Just um, different language, which gets us back to communication. (laughs) Exactly. There's, you know, know, many ways to approach things. And when you're working with people, it's important to figure out, okay, how can I communicate this in a way that will connect with them, that they'll understand, and we'll see the value in in what we're we're saying. And from either a coaching standpoint or from a managerial or teaching or you know, even in relationships, you know, mm-hmm. having you know, clarifying what you said because people will hear something and they will interpret it. And many times we misinterpret what someone said uh, and they misread it. And it could be because of, and I see this a lot, you know, it's because, you know, the person that's receiving the message is under a bit of stress. So yeah. they don't have the clarity to understand what was actually being said and they were adding additional ingredients to what was said when, when those ingredients really didn't need to be added. Well, I interestingly enough, um, I have kind of two different chapters that address that. And one of them is check for understanding. And oftentimes adults feel like it's insulting to check for understanding with somebody else. I've never found that to be the case. When I sit down with a client and they're trying to lay out, and sometimes not articulately, sometimes they're thinking out loud what they want, I'll stop and I'll say, I want to make sure I captured that thought. I heard you say X, Y, and Z because I want to deliver what they want. And if they say yes, I say, great. If they say no, I'll say, well, help me understand. Could you rephrase it? 
Um, the other one is using I statements and not you statements. And I really banish and tell people to banish, you didn't understand. It really should be, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't communicate clearly. And even though I might think that I was clear as a bell, if somebody else doesn't understand, I wasn't clear. So I will often, especially when I'm facilitating a group, I'll often say the same thing once or twice. And you know, and I'm sure you are a trained facilitator. You kind of know when people are getting the message. But if they're not, I'll try saying it in a different method or mode. And then if I'm still not able to get those aha uh-huh looks from everybody, I'll say, you know what? I'm even con- confusing myself. Michael, could you tell me what you think I said? And if Michael articulates it, I'll say, great, you did it so much better than I did. So the goal is not to say you didn't understand, but I didn't communicate clearly enough. And just accepting the responsibility for the communication changes the dynamic. So my view is it's my responsibility to make sure I'm understood. It's not your job to understand me. And then people look at me and I'll say, I'll say it again. It's my job to make sure I am understood it's not your job to understand me. And just shifting that relationship, or as we often say in our business, shifting that paradigm, I think changes the nature of the conversation. And it also kind of takes out the blame. When you say you didn't understand, it's kind of blaming. Um, And frankly, when people say to me, you didn't understand, my response is, really, I don't know that you know what I understood. I'm capable of telling you what I understand. I'll tell you about me. You tell me about you. And I've done that in personal relationships, and it really shifts things pretty dramatically. And I do it at work, of course. It just, it makes things so much easier to move things along when, and I love that you say it's you know our responsibility to make sure that they're understanding what we're saying and mm-hmm. and not hey you you should understand this no it's it's on <laughs> us to make sure that the message is matching up you you wouldn't deliver the same speech to a suite of C-suite executives that you would to a group of high school students, you would modify it a bit and depending on what the subject matter was, but you would modify it a bit. So knowing your audience and, and checking in and, you know, making mm-hmm. sure that they, that they're comprehending what you're saying and, and, and understanding, you know, the physical features of people, especially when you're, it's so much easier when you're doing these things in person because you can read their body language and you can yeah. say, they say they understand it. They are, <laughs> they aren't. So, so instead of singling somebody out, I've done this where it's like, okay, I'm going to present that same concept again, but I'm going to do it differently. And I'll watch the people that I think aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll notice that most of the time something will click and they'll go, ah, and it's like, okay, that was it. It's the aha moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's very interesting because today I'm after our chat, I'm going to interview some employees in a entertainment company and entertainment companies for better or for worse. um, Don't always treat one another with the kind of kindness and respect that you were referring to earlier, but this one, and it ties into your comments on the internet was a tweet that was inadvertently sent to a group of five. And the person sending it was 
for lack of a better way of describing it, trashing <laughs> two of the people in the group, unbeknownst to the individual who sent it. And that led to a whole kind of organizational, I'm doing an organizational audit and then coming up with recommendations. So it's it's pretty scary to me that people say things to get it off their chest. I would be, I don't know, I haven't yet interviewed that person, but I would suspect that it came out of frustration. Much easier to say, you know, I'm really frustrated about this project and let me tell you why, than to vent on the internet or through Twitter or cyberspace, however we want to capture it. And it, it has led, as you might expect, to very hurt feelings and a lot of pain in the organization. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens at the end of all of it. Uh, Hopefully phase one is kind of the organizational audit concluding with recommendations. And phase two is really focusing on some coaching and some teamwork. I'm sure like you, I get called in when the person calling me in will say, so-and-so has got great technical skills, but quote lacks people skills. And of course that's what happens because if someone has lacks technical skills and lacks people skills, they are no longer there. If they have all the people skills but are kind of uh, lacking in technical skills, employers are often more willing to work with them on a very structured kind of training or educational program. But, you know, and I always say to people, the so-called soft skills are the hard skills of the 21st century. So it's equally important and perhaps even more important, depending upon the role of the individual, that those so-called people skills are paramount and the technical skills, again, are either equal or maybe even not as important as. So, again, I'm sure that you um, are, given that we do the same kinds of activities and offer the same kinds of services and products, likely are doing the same things and perhaps calling it or using different words, different language. But we're all getting to the same end result, which is helping people communicate better to reduce these situations Mm -hmm. as much as I'm sure you're happy in organizations bringing you in to sort through their communication problems. I think we both wish that these problems didn't exist because then, you know, we could work on other things. It's not like we wouldn't find something (laughs) else to do, but I believe me, I I would love, you know, for communication in organizations and across the globe to be better and, Um, And if for some reason we wake up tomorrow and everything's fixed in the world, I'm sure I'll find something else to do. I'm not worried about it. So I feel the same way. And and I suspect, um, I know being in sunny Southern California as, so as California goes, so goes the rest of the nation. It's an extremely diverse environment. And one of the other issues that I've encountered a lot is word usage by between among people of different races, ethnicities, heritages, and language, a couple of times it's been where, um, well, I can give you an example. They're an organization that is extremely diverse. Latinos tend to be in the leadership. It was an African-American female, and people were referring to her as Morena, and Morena means black girl. And she was very offended by it. She filed a complaint. There was an investigation. I do lots of harassment investigations, by the way. And um, at the end, we did some training. And I just compiled all the lists of words and phrases I had used and asked people to go around the room and identify one that really sang to their soul and talk about it. Well, right out of the chute, the person who is fairly senior, CFO, who I've known for a long time, said, 
I want to address Morena. And I said, okay, tell me about it. And he said, well, I have two sons. One of them's lighter skinned and one of them's darker skinned. And my wife and I, as terms of endearment, refer to the lighter skinned one as blanco, which means white. And the darker skinned one is moreno, which means black. And I remember thinking at the time, because the intent was one of kindness and love. And I remember thinking at the time to myself, I would never personally, given my heritage background, consider referring to my children by color of skin. But, you know, there you go. So one of the discussions was that one might intend it to be innocuous or even a term of endearment, but it's not necessarily received that way. And we have to be very careful about word choice in a multicultural environment. I, I'm don't know if you've discovered that or if that's starting to happen, but it's, I'd say in the last six months, I've encountered three different situations like that. So it's on the rise. And, and in LA County, I mean, the last, in the census in 2010, it was Latinos, Caucasians, Asians, and then African Americans. And we're now doing a census again for 2020. And all projections are in terms of demographics and percentage of population, it's going to be Latinos, Asians, whites and African-Americans. So part of the disruption I think that's happening is a, that huge shift in uh, cultural norms and expectations, which I think is part of why, you know, again, and I don't necessarily think, I mean, I guess on some level everything's political, but I think those are some of the changes that are happening worldwide and certainly in the United States. Well, in Toronto, um, and I took a, I normally don't pull out my phone during our conversations, but mm -hmm. I did this time because I wanted to see the number of nationalities that are represented in Toronto and Toronto, the greater Toronto area has just shy of 7 million people. So, you know, mm -hmm. like a larger, you know, you know, not obviously not the size of California, but you know, a large mm -hmm. metropolitan area. Uh, Toronto has 230 different countries represented mm -hmm. in its residents. Yeah. And I've seen it skyrocket in the 16 years that I've lived in this area. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen dynamics where someone that is from Somalia interacting mm -hmm. with somebody from India who's interacting with somebody from China who's mm -hmm. interacting with somebody from Ghana. Yeah. And prior to the internet or prior to people going on trips, the likelihood of, you know, those four individuals from their backgrounds to meet each other, much less work together day by day mm -hmm. um, has really, really been an interesting dynamic and in an organization that I led uh, a few years ago, we had 22 different languages that we could speak. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, the, the potluck lunches were off the <laughs> chart and you know, here I'm, I'm this, you know, punk from Detroit and yeah, we, you know, we had different kinds of food. I mean, there was Greek town and soul food and things like that. But yeah, I went in there and I'm, I'm looking at it and, and you know, my, my nose is going, okay, did I step into heaven or something? Because the smells in this room are absolutely amazing. And yeah. I tried everything because there were so many foods that I'd never ate before in my life. 
And yes, a lot of them were spicy. Some of them, if they were seafood based, I, you know, I didn't really partake in too many of those. I do like some kinds of seafood, but not everything, but I was completely amazed. And, and each of us asked each other, it's like, okay, what's, you know, what's the story behind this meal? Did you have it growing up or is this something you always wanted to have? And the dynamic of everybody sharing, you know, their different backgrounds increased the understanding of people and where they came from and why they felt uh, the meals that they prepared were important. And that was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, it's, Mm -hmm. our world is more global than it's ever been. Um, We see, you know, every nationality um, in in our walks now. And I'm thankful for that because I think it's made our world more, uh, more rich than it's ever been when it comes to cultures and learning about different things of the world. It's been an amazing experience. You know, I, uh, my father owned a company called Rattan Craft of California. So my, I grew up with my parents traveling all the time and I studied abroad. Um, in fact, I saw the colleague with whom I did my junior year abroad yesterday to get some information from him. But when I started my business, I made a promise that I would travel at least once a year internationally. And in the last several years, it's been two or three various places. And then my son happens to live in Rome. He teaches at the University of Rome. Um, He's visiting right now. And on the drive to visit my colleague um, to help us with some information, I was just talking to my son about what was going on in Italy. And he said that... um, you know, like many of the Western European countries, first, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, there were a lot of Eastern uh, European immigrants. And now, especially because of where Italy is in relationship to Africa, there's a lot of African immigration. And we were sort of talking about, again, how that's impacting the life. And I operate from the standpoint, and I'm sure you do, that we're all the same. We all want the same things. We want uh, roof over our heads, healthcare, education, and a better life for our children than we had. Um, and if we kind of focus on that again and not focus on the differences and the fear factor, I think this will be an amazing world to be, but it's going to go through it. And from my standpoint, I feel like that's what's going on right now, that there's kind of a clash of cultures. And and while we're going through these demographic changes, there's some people who are really focusing on the fear factor and the them against us. And there are others who are saying, hey, can't we just get along? <laughs> to quote Rodney King, who lived, you know, three, four miles north of where I live. Anyhow. Yeah. And my hope is that I see in my lifetime, you know, a more harmonious planet Mm -hmm. uh, with all of us bringing all of our gifts uh, to the table and making it such a more easy, better communicating, more loving world for sure. Mm -hmm. Dinah, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Oh, well, thank you. It's, I have a website. Um, It's, dianapetersonmore.com but my name is unusual the more has one o it's m-o-r-e so it's d-i-a-n-a-p-e-t-e-r-s-o-n-m-o-r-e.com and you know my blogs are posted there services and and products and i would be grateful if anyone is interested to Check it out. Sign up to receive uh, the blogs. Uh, send me an email at diana at dianapetersonmore.com. 
and to work on all the issues you and I have been discussing for the last several minutes. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Diana, thanks again for your time today. Appreciate you. you. And it's always good to have somebody besides myself out there doing great work and and helping people (laughs) communicate better. And my motto is onward and upward. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.